Welcome to Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast, Episode 17. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, a private pilot sharing my tips and tricks to make the skies a safer place. In today's episode, we'll be discussing emergency procedures. Stay tuned for all this and more at Squawk 5353. Most of the time when we think about emergency procedures, we tend to think about emergency landings. There are three main types of emergency landings. The first is a forced landing, or an immediate landing on or off an airport necessitated by the inability to continue further flight. This may be caused by a variety of things such as fuel starvation or an engine fire. The next type of landing is a precautionary landing, which is a premeditated landing on or off an airport again, where further flight is possible but inadvisable. One may choose a precautionary landing due to something like weather or a shortage of fuel. Finally, there is ditching, which is either a forced or precautionary landing which takes place on water. When placed in an emergency situation, it's important to have an understanding of your aircraft's emergency procedures. When we are placed in an emergency situation, There are several psychological hazards which may interfere with a pilot's ability to act promptly and properly. First and foremost, there is reluctance. Oftentimes, it's difficult for pilots to grasp the fact that they will be landing their aircraft much sooner than they anticipated. This reluctance can ultimately lead to poor performance in emergency situations. In addition, in an emergency situation, the pilot may have a desire to save the airplane. While if possible, it is a good idea to try and save the airplane, ultimately your own personal safety should come first. There are times when a pilot should be more interested in sacrificing the airplane in order for the occupants, including the pilot, to be able to walk away from it. The final major psychological hazard is panic or paranoia. A pilot who is able to maintain his or her composure while in an emergency situation is ultimately going to perform better in that situation. When planning for an emergency situation, it's important to understand the terrain options in your area. While this may be different for everyone, it's best to look for an area that has flat terrain and some sort of grass or some sort of material that may be suitable for landing. Here in Wisconsin, the cornfields provide a perfect place for emergency landings. However, in the Rocky Mountains, the flat cornfields of Wisconsin are no longer an option. What people fear most about emergency procedures is an engine failure after takeoff, especially in a single-engine airplane. If an actual engine failure should occur immediately after takeoff and before a safe maneuvering altitude is attained, it is usually inadvisable to attempt a turn back to the field from where the takeoff was made. Instead, it is safer to immediately establish the proper glide attitude and select a field directly ahead or slightly to either side of the takeoff path, usually about 30 degrees. The decision to continue straight ahead is often difficult to make. Pilots oftentimes do not understand the difficulty of turning back to the airport. First, you will be landing with a tailwind, which speeds up an already rushed emergency process. Secondly, the airplane is losing considerable altitude during the turn. Each airplane is different in its ability to make a 180 after takeoff and return to the airport. 
In my takeoff briefing, I usually say about a thousand feet for a Cessna 172 Skyhawk. My takeoff briefing sounds something like, if we have an engine failure after takeoff below 1000 feet, we will land straight ahead or possibly slightly to the left or the right. Above 1000 feet, we will consider turning back to the airport or landing straight ahead. Just because you know you can make the turn at a safe altitude does not mean it's always the best decision. Although you don't see them often in general aviation, a new pilot should still have an understanding of emergency descents. The objective of this maneuver is to descend the airplane as soon and as rapidly as possible within the structural limitations of the airplane. When initiating the descent, a bank of approximately 30 to 45 degrees should be established to maintain positive load factors on the airplane. Emergency descents are most often used in the case of cabin depressurization. However, they also can be used to help put out engine fires due to the speed that is built up during the descent. Going off this, it's important for you to understand what an in-flight fire means for you as a pilot. There are three different kinds of in-flight fires. Electrical fires, cabin fires, and most importantly, engine fires. The initial indication of an electrical fire is usually the distinct odor of burning insulation. As soon as a pilot recognizes the electrical fire, they should then try to identify the faulty circuit by checking the circuit breakers, instruments, avionics, and lights. If the pilot is unable to identify the faulty circuit, they should turn off the master battery switch as well as the generator or alternator switch. Electrical power is typically not essential and so therefore you can fly without it. That being said, if you do need electrical equipment, there is a set procedure for finding out which is the faulty equipment. Up next we have cabin fires. Cabin fires generally result from one of the three sources. One, careless smoking on the part of the pilot and passengers, electrical system malfunctions, and heating system malfunctions. A fire in the cabin presents the pilot with two immediate demands. One is attacking the fire, and the other is getting the airplane to the ground as soon as possible. Ventilating the cabin is a good idea, but only once the fire is out or the fire extinguisher has been used. Because of the chemicals in the fire extinguisher, it is toxin to the occupants. Finally, there is an engine fire. Most in-flight engine fires are caused by the ignition of one of the many flammable liquids that are in the engine. Fuel, oil, and hydraulic fluid are all flammable and can combust when they come in contact with the hot surface. The best way to solve these problems is by getting one of the three things of the fire triangle. In this case, it's best to starve the fire of its fuel. To do this, the pilot should pull both the fuel shutoff valve and lean the mixture to fuel shutoff. Once the engine fire is out, the pilot should make no attempt to restart the engine, especially if it is an oil-fed or fuel-fed fire. While some POHs recommend that the pilot turn off the electrical systems, the pilot must recognize that the electrical systems are also a way to broadcast the nature of the emergency and other information to ATC. Although we think of aviation emergencies as always engine failures, there are a variety of other failures which can be just as harmful to the airplane. Flaps are one of the most important control surfaces, which help increase lift and drag, especially on final approach. 
A pilot should be familiar with their airplane's procedures to make a no-flap landing in case of a flap failure. There also is the possibility of an asymmetric or split flap. When controlling our altitude, the elevator plays an important role. In many airplanes, the elevator is controlled by two cables, a down cable and an up cable. Normally, a break and disconnect and one of these cables does not result in total loss of elevator control. If the elevator becomes completely jammed, however, this may result in a total loss of elevator control movement. The pilot may use various combinations of power and flap extension, which give slight pitch and altitude control corrections. Landing under these conditions can be extremely problematic because the pilot is only able to descend using variations in airspeed and the flaps and has no way of flaring or stopping their descent as they approach the runway. In the Cessna 172, pilots don't have to worry about landing gear malfunctions. However, in more complex airplanes, pilots should have an understanding of what to do in the case that they do have a landing gear failure. While the Cessna 172 may not specifically have a landing gear retraction failure, a pilot should still have a good understanding if they were to have a flat tire. If the nose wheel is flat or unretracted, the pilot should maintain back pressure for as long as possible. If one of the main gears is flat or has failed to extend, the pilot should favor the other main gear and the nose wheel for as long as possible. Up next, you have electrical failures. There is a large array of electrical failures, and I will be talking about them in a future podcast, as well as with electrical systems. Most notably of these, however, is the alternator failure. If your alternator fails, your airplane stops producing its own electricity. If you conserve your power smartly, you have about 30 minutes to land until you completely lose all of your power. Unnecessary items, such as lights during the day, should be shut off. Electrical failures can prove more harmful in the new updated glass cockpits. Pilots then would have to rely on the small amount of analog instruments still in a glass cockpit. The most dangerous of these emergencies, however, is inadvertent VFR flight into IMC. Just because you need three hours of hood time in order to pass your private pilot checkride, it still does not qualify you to be able to fly into IMC. VFR pilots are simply not capable of understanding how to fly in IFR conditions. Although we may have practiced with foggles, IMC is incredibly dangerous. In the case of entering IMC, the pilot should maintain by using the instruments as their reference. Most important of the instruments is the artificial horizon. Inadvertent VFR flight into IMC is the largest section listed in the airplane flying handbook under emergencies. The final thing all pilots should be aware of is abnormal engine instrument indication. The FAA has a comprehensive list of all the things which a pilot should take note of and the probable cause and corrective actions. For example, if a pilot experiences loss of RPM during cruise flight, the probable cause is carburetor icing or air filter clogging. Then the FAA goes on to say that the corrective action is either to apply carburetor heat. If this does not work and a dirty filter is suspected, the pilot should switch to unfiltered air if available.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please consider donating to my Patreon. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a way for you to financially support this show. Also, if you enjoy this show, make sure to share it with someone who you think might enjoy the show. As this is a relatively new podcast, our best marketing is word of mouth. Want to do more research about emergency procedures? A link to all the resources used in today's show can be found in the show notes. To access the show notes, simply click on the image located in whatever listening player you are using. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, and let's make the skies a safer place.